Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums specially curated to accompany your weekly Come Follow Me studies. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. It's a great pleasure, brothers and sisters, to have this opportunity, but I'm frightened. I suppose I've stayed in the home of many of your parents. I travel all over the church. I live with the saints half the time, so I bring you greetings. Last Sunday, I was in Seattle, and Brother Whitten's daughter came up. She didn't know I was going to be here today, but I said, well, that's a coincidence. I'll surely take your greetings to a man who loves you. And so it's a pleasure to be here with all of you this morning, and I truly hope that the prayer that's been offered may be answered in my behalf, that I might say something that will stimulate your thinking and increase your faith and help you to make life beautiful and wonderful as the Lord would like you to have it. The longer I live, the more convinced I become that the most important thing in life is to be able to properly evaluate things and Put first things first and second things second. You've heard the little statement that there are two kinds of things in this world. There are the things that matter, and then there are the other things. Too many people spend their lives with the other things, and the things that matter pass by unappreciated, often because we haven't the ability to comprehend and understand and appreciate particularly referring to the things of God. You remember what Paul said? The things of God are understood by the Spirit of God, and the things of man are understood by the Spirit of man, and the natural man understandeth not the things of God, because they are foolishness unto him. I like the little statement written by Elizabeth Barrett Browning you've heard many times, where she said, Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Now, there must be an awful lot of blackberries in the world because a lot of people spend an awful lot of time plucking blackberries rather than to be interested in the things of God. Um... I like to sort of a foundation for what I'm going to say today. Refer to the article that appeared in Reader's Digest in October <coughs> a year ago from Dr. A. Cressy Morrison. Now you've heard of him, former president of the New York Academy of Science. He gave seven reasons why he believed there was a God. I'm not going to take time to read the article, but I'd like to just brief a line or two of each of those seven reasons. First, by unwavering mathematical law, we can prove that our universe was designed and executed by a great engineering intelligence. Second, the resourcefulness of life to accomplish its purpose is a manifestation of an all-pervading intelligence. I want you to get the idea of the intelligence that brought all of this into existence. Third, 
Animal wisdom speaks irresistibly of a good creator who infused instinct into otherwise helpless little creatures. Fourth, man has something more than animal instinct, the power of reason. Fifth, provision for all living is revealed in such phenomena as the wonders of genes. Now, these scientists here could tell you all about that. To me, it's a miracle. I read you just a little more of what he says about genes. So tiny are these genes that if all of them responsible for all living people in the world could be put in one place, there would be less than a thimbleful. Yet these genes inhabit every living cell and are the keys to all human, animal, and vegetable characteristics. A thimble is a small place to hold all the individual characteristics of almost three billion human beings. However, the facts are beyond question. Sixth, by the economy of nature, we are forced to realize that only infinite wisdom could have foreseen and prepared with such astute husbandry. Seventh, the fact that man can conceive the idea of God is in itself a unique proof. He concludes, it is scientifically as well as imaginatively true, as the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Then he adds, it is apparent from these and a host of other examples that there's not one chance in billions that life on our planet is an accident. Now, the thought that I would like to leave with you with respect to that, it's a thrill to those of us who have understood that there's sometimes been a little difference between scientists and religionists. The thought that he recognizes that there is a master intelligence that brought this all into existence and that there's not one chance in billions that this just happened. Then I put this question. The scientists can tell us the evidence of a mastermind, an intelligence that created the universe and all that in it is, including man, God's greatest miracle, as Brother Clark points out, but they cannot tell us why. And there's nothing in this world that shows intelligent organization without there was a reason for that organization. You take this building, it didn't just happen. It didn't fall down out of the sky. I know a little about that because I helped a planet's coming into existence. And so everything that you see in this world that has evidence of intelligent organization, there's a reason back of it. Now, the scientists can tell you the evidence that there's intelligence back of it, but they can't tell you why. There's nowhere in the world that you can find out. And when you think of it being above all other created things, because it includes everything, surely there must have been a great objective to bring it into existence. And that's where religion comes into the picture. That's where the prophets come into the picture, is to teach us the reason for all this creation. Now, uh, it just didn't happen, and there's no place we can find out except in the church. I like the little statement made by Brother Widsoe. 
when he went to land in Great Britain to preside over the European mission during the First World War, and the English emigration official, when he saw that he was a leader in the Mormon church, said, go sit down. We, he says, we've been letting your missionaries in, but we don't want any of your leaders. And so Brother Whitsell went and sat down. In a few minutes, he called him back again. He said, if I let you enter my country, what will you teach my countrymen? And Brother Whitsell said, I'll teach them where they came from and why they're here and where they're going. And this English immigration official looked up and he says, does your church teach that? And Brother Whitsell says, it does. Well, mine doesn't, he said, and came down with his stamp and okayed his passport and let him enter. Now, do you realize that there isn't anywhere in this world that those three questions can be answered, except in the Mormon church and its affiliates? You can go all over the world. You can try every church. You can try every university. And yet those questions remain unanswered. And then without the answer to those questions, we have no consistent explanation of why this universe came into existence and why we're here. We have the evidence that it exists, it's right here, but we don't know why it exists. And so we come back to the question that I've just asked. Now, where we came from? Of course, there isn't time to go in much detail this morning about that, but you remember that we're taught that there was a, a council in heaven. You remember God stood in the midst of the spirits, as he told Abraham, many of the noble and the great ones, and these I will make my rulers, and Abraham vowest one of them. Then he looked and he says, see, here is space. We will go down, and we will create a world upon which these may dwell, speaking of those spirits, and we will prove them herewith, and see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their, our God, their God hath commanded them. Now that is the purpose, and then we have to learn what his commandments are. And there are a lot of us that are willing to do some of the things he's commanded us. President Grant, you remember, in his cute way, used to say the Latter-day Saints sing, we thank the old God for a prophet to guide us in these latter days. But he says there are a lot of Latter-day Saints that like to put a P.S. on it, provided he doesn't ask us to do what we don't want to do. Now, there are a lot of people like that in this world. We thank the Lord for what we have, provided we can interpret it in our own terms. And so, another little story just to apply, for instance, to the principle of tithing. Uh, President Grant used to tell a story about the Sunday school teacher who took 10 big red apples to her Sunday school class, and then she said to the class, now if I were to give all these apples to any one of you, you'd be willing to give me one back, wouldn't you? And of course, they all agreed that they would. And then President Grant would say, but we have a lot of Latter-day Saints who wouldn't give one back until they'd taken a few big bites out of it. Now that's uh, what I mean about uh, we're willing to do whatsoever the Lord has commanded us, provided he doesn't ask us to do what we don't really want to do. There are many other great evidences of the fact that there's a master intelligence that brought all of this into existence. When I was down the south in Brother David Yarn's town, and he may remember the doctor down there that 
build a beautiful rose garden. And I was in it one day, and hang on one of the trees was a motto like you find down forest lawn called a packet of seeds. I think I found out after, I think it was written by Eddie Guest. But it goes like this. I paid a dime for a packet of seeds. The clerk tossed them out with a flip. We have them assorted for every man's needs, he said, with a smile on his lips. Pansies and poppies, asters and peas. Ten cents a packet. Now pick as you please. Now seeds are just dimes to the man in the store. And the dimes are the things that he needs, and I've been to purchase them in seasons before, but the thought of them merely as seeds. As I purchased this package, I get off here just a little, this time it occurred to me, you have purchased a miracle here for a dime. You've a purchase, you have purchased a... Um, now in this bright little package, isn't it odd, you have purchased... A miracle known only to God. I left out one line there that ought to go in, but anyway, that, that's as bad as when I tried to quote some uh, passage down here some time back when you honored this man Barron. Well, now, anyway, the point I want to make is with all of the wisdom of this world, and thank God for it and what it means to us, well, I don't think you've ever found a scientist who could make a seed and put in it the germ of life so that you can put it in the ground, and when it starts to grow, it puts the branches on, and then it hangs the leaves on, and then it puts the color in, and then it puts a flower on, and puts a little perfume on the flower like the gals, to make it, you know what I mean, and uh, then puts a seed in it so that it'll reproduce itself, and the fool says, there is no God. Where does such wisdom come from and such power in just that little teeny seed? Well, now going on from that, the purpose for which this has all been done. We're told in the, in the Book of Mormon that man is that he might have joy. Now, there's the thing. Now, the next question is where are you going to find that joy? Jesus said, For blessed are they who do, which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Nephi said, The Lord hath blessed me with his love, even to the consuming of my flesh. I feel sorry for Latter-day Saints who've never had that kind of experience. He used to call me the Holy Roller over in Holland because I got so thrilled and the spirit that I could hardly keep my feet on the ground. I come home at night and it seemed like I almost walked and talked with the Lord and, uh, because of this spirit that Jesus... And you remember what Alma said that he would, that he had the voice of an angel... Then he might cry repentance to all the earth. Feelings, I've said to my wife time and time again, of all the things that God has created, including seeds, the most marvelous thing that he's created is the feelings of the human breast. And that's the thing when we learn how to live that can bring the joy and the happiness. Now missionaries find that out. When I was uh, president of the Hollywood State down in California, we converted a very prominent uh, attorney down there. And uh, in one of our conferences, I asked him if he'd like to tell the people what he found in Mormonism that appealed to him. And he stood up with a very rich, deep voice that just like a two-edged sword cut the, the marrow on the bone, as the scriptures say. And um, he said, if you've hunted for something all your life, 
until you decided that it didn't exist. And then you just happened to stumble onto it. You don't need anybody to tell you you found it, do you? Well, he says, that's what I did when I found Mormonism. And he says, the thing about it that's so wonderful to me is that the more I learn about it, the more wonderful it becomes. You remember what Brother Brigham said, that he'd studied the gospel for 21 years as he'd traveled by day and by night, by land and by sea, as consistently as any man ever studied any branch of science. He says, my studies have only brought me to the ABCs. Now, um, uh, that's what people do when they really have a love for God. And he said, uh, uh, blessed are they who do, which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, many of us have had much missionary experience, and we know how literally these things are fulfilled. I had a man sit in my office when I was the presiding bishop, a doctor, who was um, uh, recuperating from a sickness, and he was trying to sell real estate. He wanted to sell the church something, and uh, we weren't interested. But in my conversation, I found that he was a, a religious man. I said, do you really love the Lord? He says, I certainly do. I said, do you love him enough that you would be willing to join the Mormon church if you knew the Lord wanted you to? It took him a little longer to answer that one. <laughs> Finally, he said, yes, I do. And I didn't see him again for a few years, and he was in Salt Lake with his wife. He called me up to see if Sister Richards and I would have lunch with him at the Hotel Utah. And when we lunched with that man and his wife, he wasn't only a member of the church, he was the teacher of the high priest quorum in his ward. But he said, but Brother Richards, why couldn't I have known it 30 years ago? Why couldn't I have had the joy that you've had all these years in helping to build a kingdom? Well, I could tell you a dozen more stories like that, but the time's going too fast. Over here in Denmark, I met a young couple who just returned from the Swiss temple. They had three kitties. She said, Brother Richards, we've only been members of the church for six years, and we figure we're only six years old. We didn't know how to live until the elders brought the gospel to us. Now, I've got others here that tell you that they didn't, they'd hunted all their lives for the truth until they found it. Now the point is that we ought, man is that he might have joy. Jesus said to his 12 when, they were, when, they were, when he was about to be offered up, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. You know you can only enjoy what you do, and when you do good things, the Lord rewards you for it. He's the best uh, paymaster I know of. And then Jesus said, these things have I said unto you, that your joy might be full. Now that's where we get is a, fu a fullness of joy, is when we learn the things of God, the reason for all this creation, and when we make our lives conform with it. Now whenever you do good, why you get the compensation, and the records are being kept, and you're going to have to face those records, ultimately, good or bad. Now just like you get joy when you do good, then you just get the opposite when you do evil. See what I wanted to say here. Oh, in the mission field, I could have told you about the missionaries. One missionary said I wouldn't take a million dollars for the experience of my mission. Another missionary who played on the basketball team for the BY, who won the Intermountain Championship, 
said the boys literally carried us around on their shoulders. The greatest day of my life, he said, till I came into the mission field. But I wouldn't trade one night like this, bearing witness of the truth for all the basketball games I ever played. Took a young man out, let him baptize some people out in the Darcy Canal in Holland who'd earned good money at home. On the way back, he came up and put his arms around me, and he said, Brother Richards, I've never been so happy in my life. He said, when I was home, I earned good money. My parents didn't ask me to uh, pay board, and I could go to any show or party whenever I wanted. But he says, I wouldn't trade a night like this for all the parties I've ever been to. Well, I could relate those to you by the hundreds because I've experienced them myself, and I've experienced them for the other fellow. Now, there's the contrast. I've got about three minutes left. Oh, you said 12 minutes. I've got a little more than three minutes left. There's the contrast to that. When people do evil, and then they, you know, the good book says that the way of the transgressor is hard. I wept tears yesterday in my office. Young man there who wanted to go on a mission so badly that it hurt. But he'd done things he couldn't go on his mission, and so he wept, too. Now, uh, the way of the transgressor is hard. Just within the last three weeks, I was at a state conference. The state president was a handsome, clear-cut, fine-looking man. I met his older brother, who hadn't chosen the way of truth and right and the ways of the Lord, and he smoked, he, he reeked of tobacco and his face looked all drawn. If you could have seen him walking along the street, there wouldn't have been a one of you who couldn't have said which was the man of God and which wasn't the man. I remember being down in a citrus grove in Florida with Brother Martell, who was raised not far from here, and there are two women walking down the roadway, and Brother Martell says, one's a member of the church and the other isn't. Well, I says, I'll tell you which one's the member of the church. He says, which one? I said, the one on the left. He says, you're right. You know, the face is the mirror of the soul, and the things that you do, they record. Here, a short time ago, uh, a young man committed suicide up in uh, Salt Lake. The newspapers reported that he was discouraged. His father told me that he committed suicide because his immoral life had wasted his body to such a condition that he just didn't have any more uh, joy to live by. And there's a big difference. Some years ago, I was invited to talk to the inmates of the uh, Utah State Penitentiary. Of course, I got a round-trip ticket so I could be sure and get out. <laughs> and we had a good crowd. There was nowhere else for them to go. <laughs> and at the close of the meeting, a whole group came around me there who had been born in the church. One was a... Um, a, a grandson of one, the president of the church. One was a grandson of one, the presiding bishops, not mine. One was a uh, <laughs> district president in the mission field. One was a uh, ward clerk. But they had entangled themselves in sin. And there they were in that institution because they had not chosen to do all things as the Lord said whatsoever uh, the Lord God hath commanded them. Well, um, I was invited back to talk to the Alcoholic Anonymous group. I think I have a life membership in that organization. I keep receiving their uh, literature. And so when I went back, uh, 
and they announced me as the speaker, I said, well, I'd like to hear from you men. I'd like to know a little bit about you. So the man in charge stood up and he said something like this. He said, I thank God for the privilege of being in this institution. Now just imagine of a man, a son of God, the eternal father, born with every attribute that God himself possesses, being able to thank God for the privilege of being back of prison bars. And then he went on to explain. He said, before I came here, I was no good to my family. I was no good to my church. I was no good to my country. I was just no good, period. Now I have hopes, he said, that when I get out of here, I'll be worth something to somebody. The way of the transgressor is hard. You don't find joy when you violate the commandments of the Lord. Now, I want to read you a little statement that appeared in a magazine here a few years back called The Mistake. And this was about a young couple that got in trouble at the night of their graduation. I'm sorry, darling, for everything. Don't be, he said. We're in it together, and we'll get out of it together. But later upstairs, long after he was asleep, Long after the house and the street outside were quiet, Janet turned her head and buried her face in the pillow to stifle the sound the sobs made because it wasn't true, as people had said, that you could make a mistake and pay for it. You made a mistake and then you settled down, as she and Ken were doing, to live with it for all the rest of your life. The book shall be opened and every man shall be judged according to the things that are written in the book. Now, i got to close. I close with this thought. Do you remember in the Bible, we read the words of the preacher where he went out and sought for happiness and contentment. He sought through accomplishment, and he built buildings and everything, you know, to try and get the satisfaction out of it. And he came to the conclusion that it was all vanity and vexation of spirit. And then he tried through pleasure, and he hired musicians to come and play for him and so forth, and the eyes got tired of seeing and the ears got tired of hearing, and he concluded it was all vanity and vexation of spirit and so forth. And then it goes on with the rest of it. And then finally it came to the conclusion of the whole matter. The conclusion of the whole matter was that you should serve God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Now just think of evidence all around us of this marvelous creation. And any man or any woman who doesn't find out in a deep conviction in their soul the reason for it are going to walk this way with regret when they get the end of the journey. They'll be like a ship on the ocean without a sail or a rudder or anything to guide it. They'll keep afloat, but they'll never come into port. I thank God for the church. I thank him for this great institution. I thank him for you young people and your faith, the future leadership of this world. And I thank him for these great men and women who are planting faith in your hearts. God bless you all, I pray, and leave you my blessing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU speeches compilations on love and marriage, 
Overcoming Adversity, by Study and by Faith, the Prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.